Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I have the pleasure of having with me Lindsay Sage, who's the founder of Sage Admit and someone who's been on the show now. This is, I think, her third time. It's great to have Lindsay back. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about what type of MBA program is right for me. There are many numerous options of MBA programs out there, the different types, the different formats. Uh, this is a question I get a lot from a lot of different types of people. And I would love to have someone on who has advised people of all different backgrounds who have looked at all different types of MBA programs and to talk to me just a little bit about the different types of programs and who might be a good fit for what and how to think about what might be the right fit for you. And so, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to have you on. I always love starting with a warm-up question, and I'd love to know from you. We're recording this in the middle of the summer, so I'd love to know from you, what's your favorite vac- what was your favorite vacation uh, when you were growing up as a child? Is there one that stood out or one you just remember as just being very memorable? Hi, Al. Hello, everyone. Yes, thank you. First of all, thank you for having me back. It is my third time, and I just love doing this with you. You are a host extraordinaire and it's so fun to sort of see you in this way. Okay, my warm the question my favorite vacation as a child. So I grew up in Michigan and it was in the 80s and sort of very modest family. So we didn't do much other than camp in Michigan, which is actually beautiful. Like, have you ever been to northern Michigan? No, I haven't, but I've just heard great things about it, particularly in the summertime. So is this Yes, yeah. You know, those six weeks of summer are just fantastic. (laughs) And you just load your whole life into six weeks because it's miserable for the rest of the time. But we would go up to the um, Upper Peninsula, which is you've got the Mitten and the Upper Peninsula is and we would camp for like three weeks there would be bears and wolves and everything and I liked it at first you know that by the time you're a teenage girl you just like don't want to hang out with your family in the woods for three weeks without anything but that was our vacation that's what we did that's like what our family did to bond and to sort of get through the summers together I love that sounds like a lovely vacation. And you're right. When that summer window is so short, you got to take advantage of it in a place like that. Let's dive in here. I guess maybe the framing question to start this conversation is, as you think about an MBA applicant or someone who's potentially interested in pursuing an MBA, at what point does it start to make sense to ask the question, What type of MBA program should I consider? There's just so many options now with business school degrees. You can work, you can not work, you can pivot careers, you cannot pivot, you can be 20, you can be 45 years old, you can take a test, you cannot take a test. So it seems like in the past it was just, I want to go to business school, and it was like, you go do a two-year business degree. But now there's just so many options, and I think more and more people are asking themselves, that question of, well, what kind of MBA do I want? And also because there's some really good sort of job prospects out there, and at least in the U.S., the labor market is still quite strong. So it becomes, well, why do I even need this degree? And if I do, what type would I get? I think it makes sense 
really for anyone who's saying, I want to go to business school, this is a huge amount of time, expense, effort. So you need to figure out what are you hoping to get out of this? And is the program that you've found for yourself really going to get that for you? I think that's, I think that's a great approach. And I also think just to expand upon that, I think part of it too, is just, there's a number, I think there are a number of different ways you can kind of come at this, just depending on where you are, both in terms of your current state, the job that you're in or whatever years you're doing, as well as how clear you are about whatever kinds of career aspirations that you might have. Right. And to your point, there's going to be a group of people who just, I do think they just know that some type of formal education is in store for them or some, some terminal kind of education is in store for them. But there might be other people out there who know that they have some sort of goal in their career for their own career professional advancement. And they're not quite sure exactly how to get there. And in terms of how they might be able to do that, that certainly could come through just getting better at what they're doing right now in their job. But it also could come from some additional outside education and professional education in the form of a degree and other types of things. There might be some other people, and I've certainly fallen in this bucket, where I was in an organization that offered and encouraged people to go uh, pursue professional or additional education outside of whatever that they were working on, whether that meant leaving to go and do it or mm. just doing it while they were in you know, the current role and then certainly supported people while doing that. And then certainly, I sort of fell in a little bit of this bucket, but I think other people are as well, is when you have mentors or people that you respect or that you admire, who that you're consistently engaging with and talking to about your own professional development of, of sorts, mm. and either they got some kind of advanced degree and suggest that perhaps this could be something that you could look at, mm. or the fact of just by the nature of having those conversations, someone kind of brings up, oh, well, have you, have you thought about an MBA? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of spurs the thinking of, oh, maybe I, I could do this. And then it's like, okay, well, if I go and do this, what program could this be or what the, could this look mm -hmm. like? Those are a couple of ideas that just came to mind off the top mm -hmm. of my head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So let's do a high level of the different types of MBA programs that are out there. And in this case, when I say types, for those who are listening at home, I mean the different ways in which you can perhaps consume an MBA. And mm -hmm. for the sake of this, uh, conversation. We're going to break them up into a couple ones. So we're going to talk about full-time, we're going to talk about part-time or working professional, we're going to talk about executive, and then we're going to talk about online and hybrid. Um, mm -hmm. Other school places might define them a little bit differently, but for simplicity, that's where we're going to start. So I guess high level, let's start with uh, the first one, which is the full-time, which is I think probably the one that you and I are probably most familiar with and work with the most, as well as most people out there kind of come to mm -hmm. know. So talk to me a little bit about what that is and who might be a good fit for a program like this. So that is, as you say, like the traditional, I'm going to go to business school, I'm going to leave my job, and I'm going to go back to school, back to graduate school full time. So at this point, these are still the most competitive programs. They are aimed at people junior in their career, but with great promise, you know, people three to five years out of college who have gone to a firm, a couple of different firms, been promoted, done well, sort of always at the top of the pack, these top performers. And, and sort of just as a result of that feeling like they, they will be able to go on and be a leader. So when you think about that traditional two-year program, it really typically involves a summer internship so that most people going to business school are pivoting their career in a new direction. And that summer internship allows them to do that. These full-time programs are in person. At this point, 
really none of them are online. They do tend to be competitive and they do require a test score. Um, so I would say the biggest thing with the full-time program is that somebody is going to do this because they want to change their job. They want to take their career in a brand new trajectory. And in order to do that, they need to stop what they're doing now to go back to school and really try out some new things, try out some new things through the summer internship, through in-semester internships, through different classes and specializations and projects so that they can graduate with not just a degree in business, but with a brand new job in their, in a brand new industry that they are excited about. That is a great summary and example and, and definitely spot on. Any thoughts around when this type of program might not be the best fit for a prospective candidate? So one thing I would say I would bring up with here is age, because you do sort of start to age out of it once you are at like seven plus years of experience. The average age of a full-time program is about five years of work experience. And that means from graduation of college until they've started the program, they've had about five years of experience. Now, let's say that you have had 10 years of experience but you still want to do a full-time program. There's actually a couple programs that'll work for you. At that point, I would say you can target the one-year full-time programs and MIT Sloan Fellows, Stanford MSX, Kellogg has a one-year. Those actually do tend to lean more toward mid-career professionals versus sort of just junior three to five years of experience. The aging out of the full-time program tends to be the biggest the biggest issue that I've seen. And then if that's the case, I will typically move my clients more toward those one-year programs. I think that's a great advice. And I think the other thing I would just add to that is just, if you are someone who is just not comfortable with the idea of not working for two years and missing out on income from that, or, because that can be a lot for a lot of people to stomach, particularly are if you are at a stage early in your career where you haven't had as many quite frankly, opportunities to earn full-time employment income or anything like that, because it can be a lot to stomach. And certainly the cost of any or most MBA educations can be a significant investment. And so if you are someone who isn't necessarily comfortable with taking on uh, that kind of uh, burden uh, of going full-time might be a little bit difficult, but rest assured, there are some other types of options, which might be a good segue. So let's talk about this next bucket, which are part-time or sometimes often referred to as working professional MBA programs. Uh, talk to me about, a little bit about what these are like at a high level and then who might be a good fit for a program like this. There's so many reasons to not do the full-time program, right? Especially these days. I mean, people are having a lot of opportunities at work. They're able to transition and pivot in ways that they hadn't been able to before. In addition to the financial piece, as you mentioned, some people just don't want to leave their job. They don't want to go back to school for so many reasons. They don't see themselves as a full-time student. They've always sort of been that person who got the most out of group projects or were always even working through college or whatever, right? Like they really identify as that person who wouldn't leave to go back to school, but is going are really wanting to sort of stay working. So the part-time working professional programs are really aimed for people who are anywhere from two to 10 years of experience, really wide range. So when you look at a full-time program and you look at the class profile, it's typically very targeted toward a specific group of person, 
that's junior in their career with the potential for leadership. Now, the part-time working professional profile is really flexible, right? So you could have just like one or two years of experience. You could have 10 years of experience. But the key is that you're working full-time. You have not left your job. You are fully gainfully employed in a position and you are taking classes and doing the program either on the weekend or in the evening. These programs are super flexible. They're typically test optional. If you had a strong undergrad performance, you can typically get a test waiver. And the most popular programs tend to be in large urban areas. So for instance, um, because that's where people are working, right? So for instance, in New York City, um, NYU in Columbia, in California, you've got Berkeley. Haas has a really popular one that's sort of catching people from the Bay. And then UCLA has a popular one that's sort of down more in Southern California. In Seattle, UW Foster has an increasingly popular one. So you wouldn't move for this kind of program because you're sort of settled in your life and you have your work life. You'd already be located in one of these urban centers. Um, and you're just very, being very flexible about how you do the program. Weekend, evening, what's also really nice about these programs is they really understand that life happens, right? So you can take a semester off, you can accelerate the program. They just have so many options of how you can make it work for you in your life at that time. Great dissection of the working professional and part-time program. And to your point, it really is a wide and flexible range of offerings. I think what's really interesting about what you said about these types of programs are, are is, well, two things. Number one, the point you made about the location. And that can often play a role for two reasons. One, because it attracts a diverse crowd of people and just uh, has a lot of different people. And people are such a big part of the MBA experience that uh, I think that adds a lot of significant value. And I think Berkeley is a really great example of a school that does this really particularly really well. Because of geographically where it's located, uh, their part-time programs, uh, because they are right in the back door of or located in close to Silicon Valley, there are a lot of really great enhancements to the program as a result of just being so physically located in such a prime location. I think the second thing, what I've seen at least, and be curious to see what you've seen as well, is that many more of these part-time programs are starting to also offer either more curriculum or more programming uh, for people who are in these programs, but actually either decide while they're in the program or maybe mm -hmm. even decide coming into it that they actually, even though they're going to work part-time, they're actually curious about making a career change. I think yeah. traditionally, the full-time program, to your point, was the one where if you were making a career change, mm -hmm. this is where you want to go. But what I'm seeing more and more is that on the side of schools, as well as on the side of the pro people who are interested, more and more people are actually using the part-time working professional program as both to work and continue to advance without having to give up their full-time job. But in the back of their head, they're also potentially thinking about, you know what, I might also be interested in making a career change. And as a result of that, programs are trying to do more to offer some of the services that they would traditionally have reserved for full-times to support people who choose to go this route. Right. Yeah, you're right. In the past, it was all over the website. These schools yes. would plaster, you are not going to pivot. That was the first thing they would say in an info session when I used to do my part-time info sessions for NYU Stern. If you want to pivot, you can leave now and go to the full-time info session, right? But it's changed because A, of the urban area and people are just scrappy and they're willing to hit the pavement. But also the school is offering more, as long as I would say, as long as you have some general idea. But in essence, the business school student 
is always willing to hit the pavement and is curious and is meeting people for coffee. So I've seen so many pivots. I mean, I feel like every time I have a former client on LinkedIn graduate from the program, it follows the next day with, and my new position at XY, you know? So Sure. Yeah. I would say just sort of the caveat to that is that if you're trying to do like this very traditional summer program at Golden and summer program at McKinsey, those employers really do do these sort of we're taking 10 summer analysts for the summer. And so that route's a little bit more challenging, but I'm seeing pivots all the time through these programs, which is exciting. Yep. Yeah. And I think another point, just again, hitting on the geography piece, because I think it is so critical and so important to what you said. So I'm glad you brought it up. So there's a couple of schools and examples I want to bring up because I think they give us a little window into just the potential power and value of a part-time or working professionals program. So one example I'm thinking about is the University of Wisconsin. They have a Mm. professional MBA program where actually, if I remember correctly, they're specifically targeting people in the Chicagoland area. And Mm. part of what they're doing is that they're making this part-time program flexible enough so that people can fly in or drive up from Chicago Mm -hmm. the one weekend a month. And so in that case... You know, if you are someone who wants a world-class education from a school like the Wisconsin MBA, but you were concerned about, well, how can I make this happen with my job or all the other other things, they are specifically targeting in a way that it could be made flexible around your geogra- geographic or, or living arrangements. So that's mm-hmm. one example. Another example that comes to mind is the University of Texas. They have a part-time or working professionals program with a campus that's based in Austin, but they also have one in Houston and Dallas as well, right? And so Mm -hmm. uh, I think if I remember correctly for what they do is they actually do on occasions bring their working professionals together at various locations where all of them will be there for a weekend or a couple days at a time. And so while you predominantly just focus on whatever campus you are in, there is a chance for you to get together with some of the other working professionals as well. Mm. And so in some ways, it kind of combines some of the elements of the full-time program of just being in a shared space, getting a chance to really meet your peers you know, in person while still keeping true to the nature of this program is geographically in this area, but still adding in other kinds of unique elements as well. Anyway, just the when you said geography, I think it made yeah. such a it's just a critical element of that. And certainly not to mention all of those places that I just mentioned in Texas, they are epicenters in various different ways for different elements of commerce and business and the like. And so geography, I think, is another really important consideration if you're thinking about a part-time or working professional program. Yeah. I have had, and I don't know that I'm leave all their work and life and remote, but we're also, I mean, as people are learning that they can work from anywhere, I have had a couple of people move for part-time programs. And it's sort of like, that's not really what the part-time program wants to it could worry them if it's not positioned correctly, but I've definitely, if it's an urban area that you've always wanted to live in and your job is okay with you moving, what I would say, let's say you live in, you want to move to Berkeley, you want to move to the SF Bay and your address is in Wisconsin, but you say, okay, my, my employer is fine with me working on the West Coast. They're fine with me working the hours. I've structured it. I would just say at some point, because they're going to see that your address is in Wisconsin, right? It's not in the Bay. And so just mentioning in your, at some point in your essays, it would be a really good way to say, I'm ready for this next step. I want to sort of make a change, sort of, per, you know, I'm still going to be working my employers on board. And if they can reiterate too in their recommendation that they're on board with you moving, because I am seeing more people sort of like moving for these part-time programs. In the past, that was such a no-no. 
but I think if positioned correctly, it could be a really sort of engaging way to say, I'm really wanting to take this next step, which is in many ways leadership, right? Yeah, absolutely. So similar question, when might a part-time or working professional program not be a good fit for a potential candidate or a prospective MBA student? Yeah. So if you really want that sort of, there are a few employers that look for, you look at this and you say, oh, I want to do that rotational program at JP Morgan, or I want to do that associate program at this PE firm. They do sort of recruit. If you have your eye on a particular employer that is your dream employer and you absolutely want to work there, and it is, an, it is a function or an industry that is completely outside of your wheelhouse of where you are right now, then you should go to a full-time program because they will equip you with the necessary recruiting to make that a reality. Yep. I think that's spot on. And the other thing I would just add is that if you are someone who has a heck of a lot of things going on in your life, trying to juggle work and school at the same time for a period of years can be very challenging and complex. I went full-time and I often had so, would look at some of my peers in the part-time programs or the executive programs, which we'll talk about in a second, and just wondered how the heck could they, how mm. the heck could they do that? Because it is a commitment. I mean, any, any program is a commitment mm-hmm. no matter what, but I would just say for those out there who are thinking about this, it is a value add that you can work at the same time as this. And it's great for being able to apply what you learn in the classroom to your job. That said, it just takes up a lot of hours. And yeah. if you are someone who has a lot of other commitments in your life, it's just something to be mindful of. That's good that's point. All would, that's all I would good say. Point. Okay, great. Let's talk about executive MBA programs. Who's a good fit? And what is this type of program like? So similar to part-time programs, you'd be working full-time and doing this program on the weekends. It's different from part-time and that the cohorts come in together. Okay. So whereas I said for part-time, it's super flexible. You can take a semester off. You can accelerate the program. You're kind of working at the pace that you want to be at. With executive, you're sort of shepherded in with this cohort and with this group and you do everything together. You do complete the program in two years, and it's typically either a Friday, Saturday option once a month. So people will fly in. They might not live in that urban area. So like, for example, Wharton Penn has a lot of people. And most of those people are not living in Philadelphia, right? So they're at different parts of the East Coast, and they're coming in for that Friday, Saturday, every month for two years. It tends to be more seasoned professionals. So the difference there with the part-time and the executive program is the executive tend to be much more senior in their careers, 10 plus years of leadership. I mean, we're talking sort of like high VP level, C-suite level, and often the programs are a lot more expensive than the part-time programs for the most case. And so they're at least partially sponsored by their companies a lot of the time. Um, you don't quite have the flexibility as you do the part-time program trends a little bit older, both senior, both in age as well as experience and a lot more lockstep. Yeah. Thank, I think that's great. And I would just ask just as a follow-up, who is who might not be a good fit for a program like this? It is a commitment for two years. Like I would say that my clients who go on to these EMBA programs are like, I'm very glad that this is this is done, right? <laughs> it was great experience, but I'm very glad it's done because whereas any MBA will be all consuming, I do think with the part-time you could say, you know what, I'm only going to do one class instead of two this semester because I've got a heavy like travel schedule this this semester or I want to do sort of these other personal things in my life. Whereas with the EMBA you're really seeing the same faces and with this crew for 2 years and 
in in that cadence. So I do think it's a little bit more lockstep than any other program in that sometimes when you find someone who wants the part-time program, they really want to be a little bit more fluid. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about online or hybrid MBA programs. Yeah. What so are these? This, yeah. Yeah. At it. this point, I think they're all part-time. Do you yep. know any full-time online or hybrid programs? I do not. No, I think that's a great point. I, I don't either. So let's talk about these. Yes. Yeah, so all part-time, it used to be that UNC, your alma mater and Kelly were like the two really popular ones, but now all sorts of new hybrid programs have arrived. And what this is, is that it's like 95% of the program is solely online with the exception of having to fly in for a week or two here and there. So you might fly in for like a one week intensive course. You might fly in for some type of an orientation period, but that's really not much, right? Once a year or something like that. So 95% of it can be done online with the option of, hey, I would come in more for more classes. So you don't always have to do it online. That's why it's called hybrid because you could take in-person classes. The option to do it all online is there. So the new ones out, our Haas has a new one, a flex program. And NYU Stern has a new hybrid program, Tepper out of Pittsburgh, uh, UW Foster. I keep hearing about more and more of them. I feel like this isn't even an exhaustive list because every time I turn around, there's a new one. Yep. Let's actually talk. I'm glad you brought this up. Let's talk about this. So uh, for context out there for the folks, there's, and we'll put some of these programs in the show notes, but there's a number, Lindsay just rattled off a number of great new hybrid or flexible programs that have digital or online components. So let's talk about a couple that you mentioned. So the ones that you mentioned that I was actually just doing a little bit of research on, Berkeley Haas, which has a new flex program as part of their weekend program, which starts, I believe, in the fall of 2022. And NYU Stern also has a hybrid program as well. What do you see as the potential benefits of programs like these, which have online components, but also seem like they also have in-person components as well? I think it's really exciting and the schools are excited about it too. So their inaugural classes, at least I think Stern too, but Haas for sure, it's just starting this fall, as you say. So like, I think sort of, I'm sure there'll be some growing pains in terms of what it means as everyone finds their footing, but these are already, I would say as you're researching these, what would make it a strong program is it's an already existing part-time program. So Haas and Stern have always been sort of leaders in those urban areas for people that want to take evening, weekend classes. Well-oiled machines that add this hybrid or online element as they've been doing it for COVID for two years is like a perfect program to me. And I would expect that they're going to be able to put it together really nicely. And the benefit, of course, is for people that are, you know, in locations, say that you decided you don't have to be living in New York City anymore. You don't want to be living in New York City anymore because your do- you know, your company isn't having you come in anymore. And you can go live with your family in the in rural Connecticut. Good for you. You can do everything online, knowing that if there's a particular class you would like to do in person, you can. I think it's just fantastic to offer so much more options for candidates. Yeah. And speaking of options, I think this is a great place to dive in. There are so many options that are out there. And one on the spectrum, we have the University of Illinois, who was on my podcast a couple episodes ago, the IMBA, which is, starts around $22,000 to $23,000. The University Boston University Question School of Business has, I believe, an online program as well that is probably around the same price. And nice. all the way to the other end of the spectrum where you have 
UC Berkeley, NYU Stern. I can't remember the prices off the top of my head, but it can be much yeah. more than that. Mm -hmm. And then you certainly have some ones in the middle. And so as an example, I was just looking at Washington University, which launched a online MBA, which really focuses on an MBA, but also kind of the intersection of technology and transformation. Mm. And theirs is kind of in the middle around $80,000 $80, a year as mm. well. So just to help us frame this up, how do we know which one might be a good fit for us, knowing that there's such a wide range in what the tuition could be? You know, the reputation of the school, but also I think have they had, a, you know, an existing strong MBA program, right? So I know of, you know, Wash U and BU has had a business school. So, you know, them sort of pulling out, and I forgot the third one you mentioned, sorry, pulling out, well, this is an, you know, they've had faculty on staff, they've had a curriculum, it's been working. So I can sort of trust that they're going to be able to get that off the ground. Yep, I think that's that's a great point. And I think part of it too, I think, is goes back to what are you trying to do or what are you trying to solve for in terms of the desired outcome that you want and which of these programs is going to help you get there. And from my understanding, for something like the University of Illinois or the Boston University's Question MBA program, it really is those core those core elements of traditional business education, management education, right? where that's really what you're, you're getting with a little bit of electives. On the other side of the spectrum, when you look at NYU Stern and then Berkeley Haas in terms of taking existing part-time programs and adding some hybrid components to it, it really is the full robust experience, but just changing the modalities a little bit, either to allow a little bit more flexibility or rounding out some of the uh, existing offering with a little bit of enhancements, which as a result gives the premium you know, kind of price tag that's on it. Right. And mm -hmm. depending on, again, like going back to like the different goals that you're trying to achieve is really going to determine the types of particularly within a wide range of offerings, what might be the best for you. It always goes back to why do you want the MBA? Yes. You know, if it is to move into a particular industry or that is otherwise hard for you to achieve, I do think sometimes the price tag of some of those schools on the higher end makes sense because they do have relationships with particular companies. And so you can really leverage that. It always comes back to what do you want? That's the first thing anyone's going to ask you in an interview when you tell them they're getting an right. MBA, what do you want? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that we've kind of just hinted, just backed into this just by the sheer volume of talking about these different types of programs is that it does really seem as if there are just every year more nuanced and innovative programs and offerings that are out there. And so I want to give a couple examples and I would love to have you give your thoughts on them. So the first one that I have that comes to mind is that I believe at Darden, they now have a part-time program, uh, but instead of being in Charlottesville, it's actually in the Roslyn or DC area. So talk to me a little bit about how this could be potentially valuable for a prospective applicant that's out there. Yeah, we actually used to have a program like that at NYU Stern. We used to have a part-time program in Westchester. So that's suburban New York City. So the, and we were trying to capture those individuals that were working at like PepsiCo, IBM, some of the industries up there in that part of New York and maybe had families and were already living up there. So my guess is that Darden has 
targeted, what they often find is people that are interested in their program, prospective applicants will put their addresses and then they'll do some research to determine where are people living? Is there a big enough cohort for us to have classes there to have? Because to have a cohort, you often just need about 50 or 60 people. So if they're finding that enough of those people live in that area, have families there, have lives there, then it makes sense to open up a part-time cohort. And what's nice about that is you'll still typically get the same faculty, but you'll sort of have this nice little like group that you might be feel similar to an EMBA and that it's this nice group that you really get to know. It's a smaller cohort. I think that's great. And I think that's spot on. And again, I just also think just given the nature of, you know, the Roslyn DC area and just the commerce and innovation and business that's there, it makes a lot of sense because it is such an epicenter and that's a good one. Okay. So the other one I want to talk about is the Kellogg MBAI. So mm. talk to me a little bit about this one. This one seems really interesting and unique, at least from my view, having worked in the technology industry for a few years. Yeah. So I was actually at a at a talk with them where they said it bridges the gap between business and technology. And they were really, really excited about them. And, and I look at this as I think we're starting to see more specialized programs come out. You know, this is another way to customize the MBA. So Stern has a one-year tech MBA. Cornell has a tech MBA. And so Kellogg's MBA, I think, is like gathering the same group of people that might be doing something like that. So it's like very clear that your goals are in technology. And so Sometimes the prerequisites to come into a program like this might have a little bit of a tech focus. So like, for instance, you might have, I think that the Cornell program, you do have to know a programming language or have some knowledge of a programming language. So it's not an engineering degree by any means, but it's really sort of designed for those individuals that go are going to go work in technology, typically in a PM role, and it's much more focused versus just doing a traditional MBA with a specialization in technology. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's spot on. And again, just given the ways in which technology is Im impacting business as well as leadership and management, I think it makes a ton of sense. And just there are many opportunities that are there. Okay, another one I want to bring up because this one is is kind of interesting as well. It is from Emory University and there goes what's a business school. It is an executive MBA, but it's online. Talk to me about this and what might be mm. valuable about something like this. So what could be valuable about this is that a lot of times people that are doing those EMBA programs are more senior in their career, you know, might have family lives, might be traveling a lot for work, might be working through different time zones. And I think at that point, you're able to get a more global cohort and you're able to get a more diverse industry cohort. So that could be really interesting to sort of see what they're able to build up. But I could see it being across time zones, across industries in ways that they haven't been able to do before just in urban Atlanta. Yeah, for sure. No, I think you're absolutely spot on. And it goes back to a couple themes that we're seeing here. One is anything around flexibility, right? And the mm -hmm. second is around being able to use digital as a means to improve flexibility, as mm -hmm. well as allowing people to um, also finally find ways to kind of bridge both how do we create things, how, how do we put things online that can be done online? And how do we find the things that can be served for in-person to be in-person? Because I do believe even in this Emory example, they still do have some in-person components. They just primarily are, are doing it digital because of the fact that it allows for a diverse cohort to be together. And certainly to, I think to a point you made earlier, launching an MBA program is not a small task, generally speaking, and is not necessarily <laughs> something that they just kind of spin up and it just goes, they, they do a lot of research. And so being able to take a look at the data 
about what people want or different preferences or things. My assumption is, mm. is that part of why they were they decided to launch this was rooted in the fact that they were hearing from folks that as much as they wanted to do some of these things, they did have a desire to do it in a more flexible way or on their own time or, or whatever it ends up being. And so it is interesting to see how some of these things kind of bubble up. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a lot about different types of new types of MBA programs that are out there and how they're solving for different cohorts of customers or different cohorts of people and experiences. Anything else in terms of, I know we talked a lot about these unique MBAs, but also around maybe either dual degree programs or any types of other new and different programs that are out there? Yeah, I wanted to talk about two that aren't quite just a traditional MBA, but first of all, dual degree programs. And this would be really for people that are interested in getting an MBA and a traditional full-time two-year program, and then adding on another dual degree from the school. So the most popular ones have always been sort of the public policy programs or the law school program. So people will go in and get a JD MBA with their goals being like to go work in corporate law at a company where it would be useful to have both degrees. And so these are all full-time. I would say that the odd thing about this, which isn't sort of intuitive, is that the programs don't always need to match. So for instance, Harvard Kennedy School has a really popular public policy program. And of course, they have the dual degree with Harvard Business School, but they also have concurrent degree programs with Stanford, MIT, Tuck, and Wharton, meaning you could do your MPP with Harvard Kennedy, and then you do your MBA with this other partner school. So these are lockstep in the sense that this is what the next four years of your life are going to look like. But it just, it offers more options for people. And it's, it's particularly with duels, I always say, you need to love the other program so much more than you love the MBA. <laughs> because otherwise you can just go get the MBA and sort of specialize in social impact or specialize in different areas. I find that all of my duels that are really happy that they chose the dual program loved the non-MBA portion just as much, if not more. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And from the folks that I've talked to, I've heard something similar. So as an admissions consultant, I'm sure you talk to folks quite a bit about helping them figure out what is the right program with them. When you're working with a client who maybe is stuck on this, talk to me about some things that you try to ask them or try to get them to come to in order to figure out what is the best program. Yeah. So I always ask that first question of, you know, why do you want the MBA? Do you plan to pivot? And that's really the first question that I ask that's the most important, because if you really want that traditional pivot of, well, then we really do need to put you in a full-time program and a top 15 full-time program. But then it becomes, what are the most important values to you? You know, what do you prioritize? So choose your three most important values. Is it reputation ranking? Is it access to recruiters? Is it a particular type of company that you want to work at that might have a relationship with that school or within that region? Is it a location? Are you location bound? Is it the cost of the program? How much work are you willing to put into that process? So for instance, I often meet people who say they want to get their MBA, but they just don't have the, they don't want to leave their job. And then they are also super busy and don't want to take the test. And that's sort of very honorable. I understand that. And we're at a point now with this process, thank goodness, where there's a lot more test waivers, particularly for part-time and EMBA programs. Um, and so we play around with how much effort can you give this process, both before the application is submitted, as you work on this application, and how much effort are you able to allow once you're in it? 
I think those are great questions and great ideas to make sure you have sorted out so you can find the best program for you. Lindsay Sage, thank you so much for joining me today and for talking all things about how to find the right MBA program for you and dissecting all of these different types of MBA programs because there are so many out there. I really love this conversation. If people want to hear more from you or engage with you, where can they find you? Where should they go? Yeah, this was so much fun, Al. Thank you so much for having me. I am a boutique admissions consulting firm. It is just me and I have my own company, Sage Admit, been doing this for eight years and I'm always willing to chat with people for a free consult. So you can find me at sageadmit.com. Hi, everyone. Al D here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.